us. Well, we're glad that you're here this morning. Um, my name is John, and I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and it's great to have you here. If you're a guest, if you're a regular tender, uh, thanks for being here with us this morning as well. Uh, you know, this is the time of year that we start to think about traditions. I start to think about those traditions, especially as we're moving into uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And one of the traditions that uh, my family is involved in uh, every year is the tradition of finding a Christmas tree. And uh, we like to go to a Christmas tree farm in the area. And, um, and as we go to the Christmas tree farm, one of the objectives is to find a tree. And I had learned this early on, that the objective isn't to find the perfect tree. The objective is to walk through the entire tree farm, look at every single tree, and along the way you find the perfect tree. I had to get that objective really refined there. And so over the years, I began to discover what my role in this experience was. And, and I discovered that what we would do is we'd end up at the very end of walking through the whole Christmas tree farm. And somebody would say, hey, where's that tree we saw at the very beginning? And then we're like, oh, no, we're never going to find it. So I discovered that's my job. See, my job is to find the beautiful tree in the first five minutes and then memorize where that tree is so that after we walk through the entire farm, then we come back and we can go back to that tree and and then we take it home and decorate it, and usually we do this about the and sometime after Thanksgiving, you know, first week of December, and it's usually cold, really, really, really cold. Sometimes it's even snowing, and since then have discovered that you can actually tag a tree in the balmy weather of October and not have to navigate around in the bitter cold to find your beloved Christmas tree. But these kinds of traditions, they provide a lot of value. They strengthen the family bond. They, they connect generations. They create lasting memories. And um, they help us to pass on sometimes cultural and religious heritage. Um, but we have traditions that are not just at this time of year. We actually have traditions all year long. Um, we all have traditions. We have traditions about our faith. We have traditions about way, the way that we talk to God. For some people, talking to God is something that's on their knees. is the most reverent and honoring way that they can talk to God and, and meet with God. You know, for some people, there's a certain way that you dress is important when you meet with God. And so some, it's a little bit this way at CCC. It's a little bit more like this. You know, that's how we meet with God. Um, uh, there's other things that people do. For Maybe for some of you, you got up this morning and, uh, you know, you had a, a cup of coffee, you opened your Bible, you read a couple of verses, and you just kind of sat there quietly and you, you slowed down and you were still um, before God. And, and God just showed up and He was there with you. Maybe for some of you, it's a walk out in the woods, and uh, that's when God shows up, and that's when you meet God. And maybe you're in a situation where you have some property or near a place where you can just go out in the woods, and, and that's where you have this sense of being with God. Well, it was not only for us these days, but it's also in Jesus' day that there were traditions about meeting with God. And these traditions were set up centuries ago uh, for the Jewish people as they came out of the land of of Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. They did not know how to have a relationship with God. And so God gave them these instructions, the law in the Old Testament. We know of some of them in the, in the Ten Commandments. And he gave them these instructions. He said, follow these instructions, and these are, these are tools that will help prepare your heart to be okay with me. And so the Jewish people have been practicing those things for centuries. Um, but what happens with traditions is over time, traditions can sometimes lose their meaning. They can sometimes lose their value. And they can sometimes feel like someone needs to stick a fork in them and kill them. That's what can happen with traditions. But people hold on to traditions. You know why people hold on to traditions? Because you want to hold on to the meaning that they had at one point in time. But if you don't get rid of them, if you don't modify them, if you don't change them, in some cases, they can really lose their meaning 
over time. Kind of like these guys in this picture, you know, they've been sitting on Santa's lap every year for 30 years, you know, which was kind of cute when they were little boys, not so much when they were probably in middle school, and I'm sure not as adolescent, you know, young adult men was it cute to sit on Santa's lap, but they've been sitting on Santa's lap for 30 years. You know, how about these guys? They've been wearing the same pair of pants to graduation for four generations, you know, some guy had some problem with his pants, and so he found these pants and put them on, and guess what? God passed down the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. Imagine how pants from the 50s look in the, ni- in, the, in the year 2020. That's kind of interesting. But maybe the worst extreme case of this that I discovered this past week was a guy who used to go with his dad to soccer matches, and it was really important, and so it was a tradition. They would go to soccer matches together, and, and so even though his dad had passed away, he wanted to find a way to take his dad with him to soccer matches, and the only thing he had left of his dad was his dad's dentures, so he took his dad's dentures with him to soccer matches. So, you know, sometimes these traditions that just go on and on and on, they need to be changed, and you need to do something about them. And what we're going to discover this morning is we're going to discover Jesus running into this same kind of dilemma with some traditions that really needed to change. Um, but the Jewish people were really struggling with making this kind of change because they believed if they followed the traditions, if they do what the traditions were, then they would be okay with God. And Jesus had to say, no, that's not how it works. It's not paying attention to stuff on the outside that makes you okay with God on the inside. You've got to pay attention to stuff on the inside. And when you pay attention to stuff on the inside, then change is going to happen in your life. If you've been here with us, our series is entitled Simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. And it's a series based on the gospel of Mark. Um, Mark was a friend of a guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, um, one of the original 12. He had a front row seat to Jesus' miracles, his teaching, his life, and his message. And he told Mark all of these events. And as he told Mark these events, Mark wrote them down. And he wrote them down in a book for us that we've been spending our time looking at in a fast-paced, concise way that challenges us not just to know what Jesus, um, who Jesus is, but to choose to live and follow Jesus. Last week we looked at the reality that God's timing is not our timing. And if we wait on God, He's going to show up in a way we're not expecting. If you weren't here with us last week, I would encourage you to go online and be able to listen to the message there. But if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Mark chapter 7, that's where we're going to start this morning. Mark chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in your seat there. It's page uh, 81818, page 818, or you can follow along on your phone or wireless device as well. And as you're turning there, let me just review kind of the last six or seven weeks. Um, we've seen that God the Father spoke to Jesus and expressed his delight in him as his beloved son. We saw Jesus call some young guys, probably teenagers, maybe even young adults, 12 of them exactly, to be his followers. We saw him cast out spirits. We saw him heal a man with a unhealable disease of leprosy. We saw him take a man who was paralyzed and give him back his ability to walk. We saw Jesus demonstrate his authority over the rules that say rules are not what's important. It's a relationship with God that's most important. We saw him calm the storms around his disciples and identify a storm that was stirring within them. We saw him um, heal a woman who had waited 12 years to be healed. But in the process, a little girl who was supposed to go and heal died. Jesus then went to her, and in giving her back her life, gave her family more than she expected as well. You know, as we've walked through these stories, some of the stories seem almost hard to imagine. Um, 
And you almost can't put yourself in the story. Can't quite put myself in the story of a paralyzed guy who begins to walk. Never not been able to walk. I can't imagine what that would be like. Can't imagine myself being a little girl who's raised from the dead. I've never died. I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, but I can imagine what it's like to have a storm around my life. I can imagine that one. And the story we're going to look at in Jesus, uh, we're going to look at today about Jesus is a conversation that he's having with the religious community. And it's a conversation that I want to suggest to you that Jesus could have with any of us this morning. Any of us. He's having it with people of faith. And he's talking about the things that really matter. If you're there in your Bibles, look in verse 1. Um, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. There was a holy huddle, if you will. And in verse 2, they saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. Now that word defiled is going to keep showing up all throughout this part that we're looking at this morning. And the reason their hands were defiled, which means they were um, unclean or not, not sanded, not, they were not acceptable, they were dirty, is that they hadn't washed their hands. Their hands were unwashed. And the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. So there was tension in the air. There was tension in the air. Jesus had already confronted the religious leaders about their rules about Sabbath. He had confronted them and he had gave permission to violate these rules by saying it's not about the rules, it's about a relationship with God. And so they kind of had their, their, their spider sense, their antenna was up for anything else that Jesus would do that would threaten their Jewish way of life, that would threaten their laws, their morality, the way they looked at things. Jesus was a little bit like a 21-year-old that comes around a bunch of high schoolers and says, you know, high school doesn't really matter. Just kind of go out and have a good time. Once you get out in the real world, then it matters. So don't really worry about high school. And the parents are saying, no, don't say that. You know, that's what Jesus is like. He's the one stirring up the trouble. And the Pharisees are the one trying to push him away. Because this was really not an issue about hygiene. It really wasn't. Their hands were dirty. This was about following rules, and not even rules that are in the Bible somewhere. These were the tradition of the elders. There's no religious basis for these rules about washing their hands. They just made up rules upon rules upon rules. And they had lots of rules. When they came to the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, washing cups, pitchers, kettles, lots and lots of rules. You see, what was at risk is Jesus taking the legs out of their Jewishness. What does it mean to be a Jew? It means you follow the rules. To be a Jew is what? Tradition, right? That's what you do. You follow the rules. And it was assumed that if you didn't follow the rules, if you didn't wash the way you were supposed to wash, that it pictured your heart. And it pictured a heart that was not pure before God, that wasn't okay with God. So you see, the outward stuff was supposed to picture the heart. And that's what hand-washing was supposed to do. So they came to Jesus. They said, Jesus, why'd you give the guys a pass? Why'd you give them a pass? Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food, their food again? There's that word, dirty hands again. Dirty hands. Dirty hands mean a dirty heart. Well, Jesus didn't avoid the question, um, but his answer stunned them. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. I think there was a little finger pointing going on there. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Jesus didn't justify what his followers did. He didn't defend them. He confronted the religious leaders. He said, you guys are frauds. You guys are posers. You guys are actors. You're appearing to be someone that you are not. He said, you, you honor me with the words, with your actions, the stuff that you say, but your heart, it's far, far away from me. You act good, but your love is far, far away from me. Your devotion is far, far away from me. You show up, you serve, you give, you go to your group, but your heart is far, far, far away from me. He said, you care more about what other people think than you do care about what I think. He said, you care about where your next purchase is going to be, not honoring me with your resources. He said, you care about your next experience or fun activity, not meeting and spending time with God. You care more about protecting your secrets than letting me redeem your secrets. And he said, you know what? Because of that, your worship is pointless. It's a waste of time. Go home. Do something else. Don't even come back anymore. He says it's vain. There's no value. And your teachings, they're just your rules. You've forgotten. You've abandoned God's commands. And you're just holding on traditions. You know, I read these verses, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I grew up in a, in a church culture, in a church setting with lots of rules, lots of rules, lots of things that you were not supposed to do. You know, don't drink and don't chew and don't date girls that do. You know, lots of don't, 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 don't. And if you did any of those things, you know what was coming down on you. You know, that's what I grew up with. And so it's real easy for me to say, yeah, you guys, this is a verse for you. You know, you need to pay attention to this verse. You realize what you did. You messed this all up because of all these crazy rules that you had. You said they were important. Now I realize later they're not really important. They're man-made. You made them sound like they were from God. And you tried to connect them to stuff in the Bible that wasn't even there. And it's real easy to point the finger at that way of living out one's faith. But the challenge is for me to ask myself the question, so how do I honor God with my lips and my heart is far from Him? How do I honor God with singing worship songs or talking to people about God or asking them about their faith or even standing in front of you? But my heart is far away from God. In my choices, in my thoughts, in my priorities, in my relationships, and the things that I say, and the things that I think, and the way that I will live. You see, the religious community of that day said, as long as you looked good on the outside, as long as you cleaned up nice on the outside, then you're okay with God. That's what they said. Now, I'll be honest. I'm glad that all of you didn't just roll out of bed, come into the car, and come to church this morning, you know? I'm glad you stood in front of a mirror. I'm glad you took a shower and cleaned up nice and smell nice and look great and look beautiful and wonderful. I'm glad you did all of those things. But those things don't determine the condition of my heart before God. And in the Jewish community, it did. And Jesus says, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. It's not the way it is in my kingdom. He goes on to explain this um, 
in verse 15. He says, nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. You're, you're like, wait a minute, what does he mean going into them? I thought he's talking about tradition, stuff we do. Now he's talking about stuff going into us? What is he talking about? Well, Jesus kind of jumped topics. So he's talking about traditions, the hand washing, all that stuff. That's one thing. But now he starts talking about some another thing, and that's food. He's talking about because there was certain food that they were not supposed to eat as good Jews. Not supposed to eat. And it wasn't just because they were on the keto diet. You know, these are just things they weren't supposed to eat. You know. And if they ate these things, it, would, it was believed that, again, their heart was not pure before God. So that's where Jesus has shifted gears. And so he says, nothing outside of a person can make them impure, make their hearts not right by taking it in. Rather, it's what comes out of a person. It's not what you put in. It's not the stuff you do that makes you not okay with God. It's about stuff inside of you that doesn't make you okay with God. So Jesus left. His disciples are scratching their head. They're like, defiled, not washed, washed, stuff that goes in, stuff on the outside. They're all confused. And so they go to ask Jesus about this. Jesus is like, yeah, he kind of said, you knuckleheads, you know, don't you guys get it? You know, like, no, I don't even get it. But he says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? Nothing on the outside can make you not okay with God. Nothing on the outside can make you not okay with God. For it doesn't go into their heart, but in their stomach and then out of their body. Um, a little biology lesson here, you know, Jesus is saying. When stuff goes into your mouth, it doesn't enter your heart. It actually goes out the other end, is what happens, is what Jesus is basically saying. He said, so stuff that's coming into your mouth, stuff you're eating, that's not going to mess up your heart. It's just going out. I don't know where it went those days because I didn't have toilets. Somewhere it went. I don't know. I don't want to ask. I don't really care. But um, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying it's not the stuff that goes in. And there's this little caveat there in the end. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Because again, for the Jews, certain foods you could eat, certain foods you couldn't. And if you did, you were considered unclean if you ate those foods. Jesus says, no, the food doesn't matter. Whatever you eat is not going to change your heart. It's not going to change what's going on on the inside. It's not going to change it. It's not the traditions you follow that makes you clean. It's not keeping stuff out or not putting something in that makes you clean. It is what is on the inside that comes out that makes you clean, which is okay with God, or unclean, not okay with God. And he keeps saying it over and over and over and over again. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles. There's that word again. He uses it seven times. It's what comes out of you that creates a problem with God. It's not what you do. It's not what you take in. It's not what you say I'm not allowed to do or I'm going to stay away from that makes you okay with God. It's what comes out of you. He then goes on to list some of these things. He said, for it is from inside of you inside of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Something's going on inside your heart if you're involved sexually before marriage. Something's going on inside of you if you're stealing. Something's going on inside of you if you have murder or hatred. Something's going on inside of you if you're married and you're involved sexually with someone else. Something's going on inside of you if you're greedy. Something's going on inside of you filled with hatred. Something's going on inside with you if you're filled with deceit. Something's going on inside of you. If you have sexual jokes and crassness, something's going on inside of you. You want someone else's stuff. 
something that's going on inside of you, if you're talking badly about other people behind their back, if you're arrogant, if you're foolish, where does all of this stuff come from? It comes from inside. And that's what makes us not okay with God. That's what makes us not okay with God. It comes from my heart. Not my family of origin. Not my awful boss. Not my nasty coworker. Not my dysfunctional family. Not my divorced parents. Do they have an effect on my life? Yes, their choices and decisions do. But it comes from my heart. And see, that's what Jesus was trying to get these guys to see. These religious leaders says, follow the rules. Look good on the outside. Do all these things. Don't eat these things. Your heart is okay with God. And Jesus is saying, no. It's never about the outside. It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. Say, so why was this so important for Jesus to talk to them about it? Why was it so important? Because when we make faith about following rules, traditions, something's broken. Something's broken. And that's what Jesus was trying to say and was trying to explain. He said, following Jesus is about seeing myself as broken. My life is a mess and I'm in need of a Savior that apart from Jesus, I'm helpless. I'm defiled. I'm not okay with God. On my own, I'm not okay with God. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, your life can't be about rulemaking or about making sure someone else keeps the rules. It's about your heart. Now, if I, if I put my fingers here, if I put my fingers here, what am I feeling for? Pulse. Okay, some of you have it this morning, some of you do not, because you all should have said pulse. That's the only thing I'm doing here, you know. And if you have a pulse, you are what? Alive. Okay, you all have a pulse. Good to know. So you are alive, right? You can know by doing this and by doing this if your heart is beating, right? If your heart is beating. Let me ask you this question. Can you know sometimes if there's a problem with your heart? Can you know sometimes if there's a problem with your heart? Can you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I had a heart attack a couple years, I knew there was something going on inside. I didn't know exactly what. I knew something was going on inside. And so what did I do? I had to be rushed to the hospital. They, um, they put something inside my wrist up in a, in, a, in, a, in a vein, and they put this little camera thing all the way up in here, and I saw these pictures of my heart. And they're, they're moving it all around, looking at all these pictures of my heart. I couldn't do that myself. I couldn't do that myself. I knew there was something not right with my heart. But I couldn't take care. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my heart by myself. I had to ask someone else to help me figure out what was going on with my heart. You see, this morning as we wrap up, I want to challenge you to pay attention to your heart. Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, said, of everything you can do, the most important thing you can pay attention to is your heart. Your heart. Your relationship with God. But the truth is, you're not going to be able to accurately diagnose and figure out what's wrong with your heart by yourself. Just like I might know there's something wrong with my heart, it's not going right. If you're out of breath and you can't catch your breath, what? You know something's not right with your heart, but you can't figure out that on your own, can you? No. 
And it's the same in relationship with you and God. When something's not right on the inside with you and God, it's not about you trying to perform and do more things on the outside. It's not about you saying, well, maybe I shouldn't do, I shouldn't do these things or I should do more of these things. No, that's what the religious leaders did. Jesus says, it's all about paying attention to your heart and you can't diagnose your heart on your own. Sure, can you read God's Word? Yes. Can you listen to God speaking to you through this? Yes. Through when you're sitting here in a, in a service or through music or other means? Yes. But I want to suggest to you that you have to invite someone else into your life to help you look at your heart. You can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. None of us can do this on your own. Students, that might be a conversation with mom and dad to say there's something, not, there's something not right on the inside. I don't quite know what it is, but something's not quite right. Um, if you're married, maybe it's a conversation with your spouse if they feel safe enough to talk with them about what's going on. Maybe it's a conversation with a pastor or a spiritual director or a counselor. Maybe it's a conversation if you're in a small group with a small group leader, a couple, uh, a couple men or a couple women that you trust to say there's just something that's not right on the inside. I don't quite know What's going on with God and me these days? The place to start is to humble yourself and say, I can't figure this out on my own. People who pay attention to their heart are willing to admit their weakness, own their faults, and with the help of God and others, ask that God do the work on the inside. You see, God wants to change us from the inside out, not the outside in. And it starts with our hearts. You see, we don't believe that we're a mess to be cleaned up, to be spruced up, to be fixed up to look good on the outside. We believe that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that we can't do this on our own. We all need Jesus. As we close this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and um, as you do, I just want you to take a moment and tell God what's going on in your heart. Um, he already knows, because He knows everything. And when you tell God what is going on inside of you, it's, it's called confession. And so... Maybe this morning part of that confession is that you've been busy and preoccupied and you, you haven't even had time to come to worship. Or maybe you're consumed with your next purchase or your next raise or moving another step up in the corporate challenge in front of you. Maybe your heart is struggling with lust and sexual desires and you're viewing things on screens that are feeding that. It's all coming from the inside. Maybe your heart is just hurting right now. You've lost someone you love or the struggles in this life have just gotten really, really hard for you and your heart just feels sad and lonely. God, you know the condition of each of our hearts. 
And what you long for is people in relationships, in a relationship with you, who are willing to not just honor you with their words, not just go through religious motion, motions, but are willing to examine and look at their hearts. God, it's hard for me to do this because there are times when I do this, I do not like what I see. And I can be filled with shame and embarrassment. Um, and I forget what that song says that we sang earlier, that I'm one of your children and I'm chosen, I'm forsaken, and I am exactly who you say I am. And so God, I pray that as we bring our hearts, no matter what the condition is, to you today, we would have this sense of you being our Father waiting there with open arms for us. God, help us to continue to walk towards you and to honor you not with our, just with